So good to be with you as we continue our series on breakthrough. And uh, in case you're new here, I'm Pastor Terry and the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church. But I can say this, that it is my sincere desire for all of you that you would have a breakthrough, a comprehensive breakthrough, right? In the place in your life where you need it most. And, uh, you know, even now, I just want to, maybe I'll just pray right into that at the beginning and just say, Lord, we really cast our eyes towards you and we pray for breakthrough. Now, some of us need it just in our mind. We haven't been thinking good thoughts, or at least not enough of them. And maybe some of us right now, we're wrestling with a lot of anxiety or we feel stress or we feel fear. Uh, you know, some of us maybe feel a little bit paralyzed or emotionally numb, just like, there's been so many things one after the other that it's hard for us to, to feel like free and alive. And, and, you know, Lord, we just welcome you right there into our, into our thoughts and into our mind. Perhaps others of us, we're feeling a tremendous amount of spiritual uh, oppression. Maybe we don't, we haven't been doing well. Maybe, maybe even just listening to this message and being part of this service is was a reach for us because we've been feeling pretty defeated. Perhaps some of us find ourselves falling back into bad patterns, unhelpful patterns, addictive patterns. And Lord, we just need your touch for breakthrough. And then again, it may even be showing up in, in our relationships, some critical places in our relationships where we just, I don't know, we've hit a wall. And, you know, we love people we love. We're just, at one another's throats too much. And we're having a hard time. Our families are having a hard time. Marriage, maybe even a friendship. And we just welcome you into this place, peacemaker, peace giver, breakthrough with your love. And then maybe even our bodies, maybe some of us right now, we just um, need a touch of wellness. And I know there's a relationship, Lord, between our mind and our thoughts and how we're feeling and, and the physical is connected to the spiritual and the mental and all these things affect one another. But we just pray for your healing touch, even over our bodies right now in the name of Jesus. If there are some type of a sickness or an illness that we're struggling with, we pray for the healing life flow of the Lord breakthrough in the name of Jesus. And if there is something at work in our bodies that we're not even aware of, we just pray for your touch over us, Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, breakthrough in the name of Jesus for all of us. That's my prayer because, like I say a lot on the backside of the service, you, you know, you are greatly loved. God's so loved. You are loved. But, you know, I, uh, I want to pick back up with the story of Joseph. 
And I'd love for you to join with me. Genesis 41, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt, they came to an end. Joseph is now 37 years old. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said, and there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do this, do it. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses. Remember, he had so wisely set aside 20% for this time that he was fully confident would come. He, he had been given a word, a prophetic word from God uh, when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and it was now coming to pass. It says the famine, you know, was so severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, verse 57, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Now, that's most likely speaking in a bit of a hyperbolic, hyperbolic term of, uh, you know, the surrounding regions of the East. But they, they came because of the severity of the famine. And, and they had heard that there was grain for sale in Egypt. And there was. And one of those who heard about it was Jacob and his sons, who were at the time in Canaan, the, the land of Israel. And look what it says in Genesis 42, because that's what follows. It says, when Jacob, in verse 1, learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why, why do you look at one another? And, you know, the sons, with the likely exception of Benjamin, I remember at this point, they're, they're probably all married. They have children of their own. They're, well, they're, they are um, themselves leaders of extensive families. But together, they are part of a nomadic community, a tribe, if you will, a clan. And they were traveling along the way, just as their forefathers, um, Isaac and Abraham, had done. And, you know, Jacob sits at the head. He's the patriarch. But remember, at this point in time, Israel is not yet a nation. It's, it's just, um, well... It, but Joseph is going to be used by God <laughs> to get them there. But in this moment, um, they're just a large family community. Now, the famine, if you think about it, it had no doubt started as famines are wont to do quite innocently. The first year had been dry, but after uh, the seven previous years of amazing, you know, harvest because remember, there were just years of extensive abundance. No one was complaining. Only maybe they thought to themselves, oh, this is just an aberration. It'll kick back. Uh, you know, they all assumed the rains would come, but they didn't. And gradually, the concern worsened as an even worse drier followed the next. And now it was time to, to panic. It was time to pray for rain, but also to buy some grain, right? But where, right? That was the question. Where, where, you know, it had started as a rumor from the South, uh, that somehow in the land of the Nile, there was wheat in abundance, but you know, no need to, to make the strenuous and somewhat dangerous journey because, um, 
to the land of the pyramids, at least not yet. The hope was we can just, you know, we can just wait this out. But gradually their concerns increased and their prayers intensified. But to uh, no avail, the ground was now parched with their supply of grain dwindling with each passing moon. Soon they would be in serious trouble for a crisis was already upon them. And if the things didn't change, they knew, or at least they feared that not only would they potentially be in a, in a place of peril, but their little ones could starve. And that was just a chance they had to, they couldn't take, they had to address the situation. And so let's just go back to Genesis 42 that first verse one more time. It says, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you here looking at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down, buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. Let's just not look at each other here and do nothing. You know, so, you know, Jacob's concern finally reaches a point where he feels like action needs to be taken. And what's interesting is that while all the brothers considered the situation dire, nobody at the time was pushing to go down to Egypt and then buy some grain while it, it was uh, still available. And it was like, Jacob says, my sons, be before it's too late, um, don't you think we should consider the possibility of, of going, we need to go down to Egypt and we need to buy some grain. We can't, we can't risk this. What are you guys afraid of? Why are you just sitting here? Now it's true, uh, the journey had, um, you know, it was long and it had some potential perils and, and I can hear Jacob saying, yeah, and it's, it's obviously you're going to be carrying a lot of money and, and you're going to be traveling to a, a strange land where you will be viewed as outsiders and foreigners. But I think it's worth the risk. I mean, if you just go together, there'll be 10 of you, if you all go. And besides, Egypt has a history of dealing justly with its guests. So I think we need, I think you need to go. I think you need to go down and buy the grain. And that was, that was what, you know, you know the, even if there is a risk, it's outweighed by the danger, by the uh, vulnerability of our situation. I think you guys all understand that, don't you? We can't just sit here and die. We need grain. We're going to have to get some. And if we're going to survive, uh, you got to make the journey. And I just want to stop right there because and it's important for us to remember this, that there are going to be times when our survival is connected to a journey, right? When, when breakthrough is connected to a journey, that is not going to be easy. Some breakthroughs come like they did with Joseph. I think we understand that. They're like lightning. I mean, so quickly we get the breakthrough that it catches us off guard and takes our breath away. I, I mean, we just lift up our hands in praise and say, thank you, God, because it was an amazing, almost unanticipated level of blessing and breakthrough. And, you know, our prayers get answered in, with such unimaginable force and speed that it leaves us. And I don't know any other way to say it than we just find ourselves devastated by grace at the stunning provision of the Lord. And when we experience that, well, we just need to be, we just need to let the joy flow, right? <laughs> like the prodigal coming home, we are overwhelmed in that moment by the goodness of God 
and the extravagance of what we sense we did not deserve. Those moments are precious. They are marking points, milestones, markers in our faith journey. But other, speaking of journey, but other breakthroughs actually require a journey. And they don't just come all at once. They require a journey of uncertainty, a journey of faith. Yes, that's what we're saying here. And, um, you know, sometimes even a journey through And if you've ever had to do this or you're doing it right now, even sometimes a journey through a desert. And again, I I think it's very possible some of us might find ourselves in the desert place, even in this moment, right now, in this season of our lives, where so many of us have had to deal with things that are hard. When in our heart, we know we have no choice, no choice, but to push on one step at a time. And that's the only way I know how to really describe what it feels like when you're under a a tremendous weight of adversity that's not going away anytime soon. That's where faith is really required to make a journey one step at a time. And sometimes the Lord says, keep your eyes on the distance, keep your eyes focused on what's way ahead. Use that as a, as a way of, of staying on track. Other times the Lord would say, you know what? Just focus on one step at a time. And there are times when our survival and the survival of others who, you know, um, are connected to us depends on our willingness to make a journey through a desert. And I I just have to say it, desert journeys are not easy. I know this. I've walked through a few and um, in the desert, the air is hot and water is scarce and, and discomfort is real. And yet, how can I say it? But sometimes there are breakthroughs that are going to require a desert. They can come no other way. There is no other way than to walk through the desert, to grow through it, to learn from it. And along the way, if we stay with the Lord and we learn and we grow and we become with God's help, um, well, that's what can happen. We can become with God's help, the man or woman that we could never be without it. I heard someone say recently that, and they were sharing about the enormity of circumstances that were very adverse that they were having to walk through. And they were sharing about how hard it was in their struggle even their struggle with God during this time. And certainly they, they were having a hard time getting peace and just felt beleaguered, worn down, beaten, defeated, discouraged and depressed. And they said that as they were praying that, that the Lord impressed upon them that they needed to yield control of their circumstances. And instead, and I love this, find God in the circumstances. So instead of trying to control the circumstance, find God in the circumstance. There's a great truth there. But I go back to Jacob and the question he asked his sons, because I found myself resonating actually with his question, which was this, right? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? (laughs) You know, why, why are you sitting here doing nothing, my sons? To stay here is to die. And there are times, and I just like, I heard that so clearly. There are times when 
and, and just hear this in the best way, we must move. We must move. We must act. Times when just saying, oh, well, the Lord will provide. Now, I know he will provide. And there are times to articulate our belief in the promise of provision. But there are times when just saying, oh, the Lord will provide and then folding our hands in quiet, trusting faith will not suffice if God is saying, get up and go down to Egypt. See that, you know, there, there are some provisions, it's true, that will only come, and I've, I've found this to be the case, and I think you are aware of it, is certainly a, a principle deeply embedded in Christian thought, thinking, and history. Some provisions will only come if we are still. And I know that's counterintuitive. I've been there. That the more we do, the more we mess it up. There are times when we need to back off and not try to make something happen, but just to trust God, to be still and know that I am Lord. You know, I think of, you know, for me in my life at different times, I think of things like tithing, giving it, which is giving a tenth to the Lord. And it's the principle that God can do more with less on the basis of covenant, right? It's a principle I live by. And that, again, it, it can be counterintuitive. Like, how am I going to get... How am I going to get more blessed with less, right? That doesn't make sense. And yet that is oftentimes the way the Lord, when it comes to, I'm going to actually have more of God moving by me being still and, and actually not doing anything, but trusting. So, you know, there are clearly are times, loved ones, when the Lord will say, you know, this is not about you. This is not about how smart we are. It's not about doing more. It's not about, you know, having the best plan of action. It's not about working harder. It's about slowing down, trusting me as a principle of Sabbath, if you think about it. But I need the, but if God is saying go and we say no, then the provision that he has made available for us we will not be able to enjoy. Did you, I think you understand what I just said. If God is saying go and we say no, then the provision that he has made available to us, we're not going to be able to have the benefit of it. You know, do we see that following Jesus then? He said, well, well, you're, Pastor Terry, you're, 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 you're like saying two things. You know, which one? Take a side. And I'm going to say both. It's neither. Like, it, it just depends on what the Lord is saying and to discern what the Lord is saying is not always an easy thing. Sometimes it has to do with how we're feeling and before the God. Yeah, it is how it's connected to our feelings and, and the engagement of his word. A lot of times I try to, to um, juxtaposition how I'm hearing the Lord uh, with, with the voice of others that I trust. And um, uh, sometimes God just makes it increasingly clear that this is the way that I want you to go. But I, I hope we can see this and that, that following Jesus is more art than it is math. <laughs> right? It's not anti-math. It's just more art. And I think you know what I'm saying because Jesus taught us that the way of the spirit is like the wind. In other words, yes, it is principle-based, no question. But 
it's not always a one size fits all in every situation. You plug in the number and out comes the, the solution. It doesn't work that way. A lot of times we gotta walk by faith and not by sight. We can't see it. We gotta really seek to discern and learn and perceive the Lord through the situation we find ourselves in. And that is where I think discerning his voice as the years go by can be very helpful because we learn to recognize when we are um, sitting, when we should be moving, and when we're sometimes moving, when we should be sitting. But anyway, well, I don't want to diminish that. All the things that I just said are very important and there's wisdom in them. But back to the brothers, you know, why were they so seemingly hesitant? I sat with that. I was going, why were these normally impetuous men so passive and cautious? Like, what's going on here? And they're sitting there, you know, everybody's worried about the food supply. Finally, it's Jacob, who is the catalyst for saying, what do you, well, come, come on, you guys, what are you doing? Someone, well, I'm, I'm shocked that none of you have, have thought of the idea of going down to Egypt and buying the grass. I think we need to do this, right? You know, I don't know. As I look at it, I go, could it be? Why do you think it is? Could it be that going to Egypt meant for them, even if it was subconscious, having to confront a disturbing memory? I think it's possible. Yeah, I do. That they instinctively wanted nothing to do with um, Egypt. That was how, uh, the place where the victim of their callous and wicked deed had been sent uh, and sold. Uh, and, and we're gonna see this in the weeks ahead. It was on their mind, <laughs> haunting them like only a dark secret or a truth unrevealed under the cloak of deception can. After all these years, remember, what we're talking about now is over two decades, 22 years have passed. Jacob, the father, he still doesn't know. He doesn't know. For over two decades, he has assumed that Joseph was killed by a wild beast. Remember, they had showed him the coat with the blood and ripped apart. And, and so, you know, Jacob is living as one deceived and his sons are carrying the guilt. I mean, you want to talk about family dysfunction. So you have, you have the head of the family uh, living deceived in deception around this. And then you have his sons all living with the guilt and the shame of what they had done. That was a heavy weight to bear. And for some of them, that's going to be part of their story of deliverance and breakthrough. But at the time, Jacob is still hurting, you know, and not all the time, you know, like they do say, you know, time heals all wounds, does it? I, I think, I think majority of the time it does. Yes. And, uh, but sometimes wounds fester and, and overwhelm with time. I break people down. But in Jacob's case, I think he's hurting. I think from time to time it, it came to his mind, but he had, I can say this with the best meaning. I think he had moved on for the most part, but not unaffected by what had transpired. You can tell that Jacob has been deeply affected. And we're going to see this later on by the way he treats young Benjamin. So let's return back to the third verse though. Um, 
It says, so, so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. They said, yes, well, do, they went down. They went down to Egypt to buy the grain. That's the Bible's way of just telling us in a, in a very short <laughs> phrase here, short verse that they packed up, they got moving, and they headed to Egypt to buy the grain that they hoped was still available. But look at verse 4. But Jacob did not send, look at that, Benjamin, Joseph's brother. Remember, that was, only jo that was Joseph's only full brother, the only one younger than him, the son of, of Rachel. And Jacob would not, who, who was now dead, right? Jacob would not send Benjamin. He'd lost Joseph. He's not sending Benjamin with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Jacob would never risk, never risk letting Benjamin go, would he? <laughs> I mean, he's... He's overprotective. He's scarred by his loss. And some losses do that. Yeah. And so they set out, the 10. And I wonder if on their way, <laughs> in the quiet of the desert, and there have been a few times where I've had, had a chance to go into the desert, and it has a quiet that is unique. Uh, I, I, I'm a backpacker. I love to go into the Sierras and into the high country. It's one of the places where God has met me over the years. I find, I find the quiet and the stillness that opens my heart to the Lord, as John Muir called it, the cathedral of God, right? I, I, I found it to be the case. There's a unique silence there but it's different than the silence of the desert. And I wondered, I just tried to imagine in my mind as they're, they're riding, uh, making their way uh, through the desert to Egypt and the beauty of the morning and the clothes when most of the travel would take place. If I wonder, I wonder if at the opening, but maybe even more so, the clothes of the day with the beautiful hues of the desert with the unique beauty of the barrenness, but the, the colors and the utter silence. I wonder if their minds did not wander back to an earlier time when Joseph cried for mercy. The family lie unspoken beneath the Egyptian sun as it said, brothers, right? Oh man, brothers still ringing in their ear. After all these years, they could still hear him cry, crying for mercy. But now maybe I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating. <laughs> That's what I think happened at least a few times. But hear me on this. It took a famine to move them towards reunion and restoration. And sometimes I've found this to be the case in my life with the Lord. Sometimes we can be slow to confront issues that God is wanting us to deal with, right? And some things are not to be suppressed, but rather addressed so that we can be free. I think it's worth saying that again. There are some things that we're not supposed to suppress, but rather we are to address. 
that we're actually not going to experience the freedom that the Lord has for us, yet alone the blessing, with, without addressing something that God is wanting us to give attention to. Maybe some of us, that's where we're at right now. You know, it's true. Sometimes there are pages that just need to be turned and rarely, if ever, revisited, you know. I remember my grandfather, who you, many of you know, was my mentor and uh, the most influential man of my life, even though he went to be with Jesus when I was 25 years old. Um, that was the year I became pastor of the church as well, 1988. But I remember asking him about his past and he had a colored past and I would hear people who knew him talk a little bit about it, but it was never really a clear narrative for me. I couldn't understand. What did you do? Did you do that? Were you involved? Is that what happened? You know, and you know, he, he didn't, even though in his early years as a, as a preacher, he was an evangelist, they, they would have him go to different churches and it was part of the thing that was more in kind of connected to the time that he lived in, they would have different people give their testimonies. And my grandfather, because he had a very colored past, was often asked to give a testimony and a message. And that's how they would kind of advertise him. Uh, that was way before my time, right? Before the war, World War II. And yet, um, you know, and I, you know, he would say to me, uh, I don't really want to talk about it. And I would say, but Gramps, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, he would say, I think for me, I just want to leave it under the blood. Now, what he meant by that is he just felt like the power of the cross was such that he wasn't really supposed to glory in who he had been. He was more interested about in who he was and who, and he, he may not have said it this way, but in who he was becoming. And I think there are some things, it's true, that, that there are some pages that need to be turned and rarely, if ever, revisited. Some sins of our youth or uh, recent days are best left under the watery tomb of baptism. You heard what I said there. Sometimes that's what baptism is for, water baptism. As we identify with Jesus and go into the grave and come up into newness of life. Sometimes we just need to leave our, our past at the foot of the cross, you know, for what can Wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? But, but, loved ones, there are times when we will sense the nudge of heaven calling us to clean up a situation that a part of us would not rather deal with. And we're not going to be at peace till we do it. Sometimes growing past things is connected to dealing humbly with our past. I'll say it one more time. Sometimes growing past things is connected to dealing humbly with our past. And it's not always easy or convenient. So a few times the Lord decides he's going to send a famine, or at least he allows it to help move us along. <laughs> to uh, catalyze our intention, to get us moving. <sighs> and sometimes the Lord is saying, stop sitting and get walking. Sometimes he's saying, don't repress this thing, address this thing. 
And then there are times when we're paralyzed, maybe in a sense of defeat, that we've kind of given up. Maybe some of us, that's where we are right now. We've, there's a part of us that's kind of given up because we feel like we just don't have what it takes and the Lord is trying to get us to lift up our head and move. Lift up your head and move. Get moving. For what we will find is that on the other side, he has healing and provision awaiting us. But we have to get up and we have to move. All right, that's something to keep in mind. In fact, we're going to share a song that is going to explore the idea of moving. But I just want to remind everyone, it's my time that I get to do it. And I get to remind you of a couple of things. One has to do directly with giving. And that has been uh, one of the great surprises of this season to watch the church just step up in such amazing ways. Remember, you can give in a, a couple of different you know, we have options for you. You can do it directly online. You can do it through the app. That's what I do. Uh, or you can send it in, you know, the traditional way. But, you know, like I said, in addition to, to giving, you know, give your heart to Jesus. Always connect to what you're doing. Remember what you're investing into. Remember what we are doing together as a people. It has eternal significance. And you have been amazing. And I love you for it. But um, before we share the song, and I'm going to come back around on the other side of it like I get a chance to do. Um, I want to pray. Lord Jesus, just use this uh, last, you know, time of ours, these few remaining music, minutes in song and in, in the word. I just ask that you would drive home some things into our heart deeply. Ah, flow river of life. That's my prayer. Even now, keep us moving, Lord, in Jesus' name. Here we go. Another heartbreak day Feels like you're miles away Don't even need no shade When your sun don't shine Shine Too many passing dreams Roll by like limousines It's hard to keep believing When they pass you by and by I know your heart been broke again I know your prayers ain't been answered yet I know you're feeling like you got nothing left but lift your head it ain't over yet it ain't over yet so keep walking
Lord ain't finished yet. Hold on, hold on, he'll get you through this. Hold on, hold on, these are the promises I never will forget. I never will forget. So hold on, hold on, the Lord ain't finished yet. Hold on, hold on, he'll get you through this. Hold on, hold on, these are the promises I never will forget. I never will forget I know your heart been broke again I know your prayers ain't been answered yet But it ain't over yet It ain't over yet So get up and move That's right, lift up your head. It ain't over yet, keep moving, <laughs> keep moving. Remember, there are gonna be times when breakthrough is connected to a journey that isn't easy, a desert journey, a journey we would prefer not to take. Sometimes it's gonna take a famine, sometimes, <clears throat> maybe I could put it this way, sometimes it's gonna take, and hear it in the best way, a pandemic to help us focus on the right things. Yeah, and to get past things that have been holding us back and open us up to new things that God wants to do. And remember this, the Lord is for us, always. Jesus, help me not to resist you when you're trying to get my attention for my own well-being. Remember, he's so good and he's so God. And he wants us to do what? To so good and to so God. And even now we ask it, Lord, because we know we are loved by you. And so my prayer for you this day, this week, this year, is that he would keep you in your spirit, in your body, and in your soul. In Jesus' name.